Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. talking about love together. Uh, how do we learn to love? Love Walked Among Us um, is the name of our series. We start in Luke 7. So why don't you stand and I'll read God's word to us. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. He said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and he touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, Arise, Isn't it only God can speak to the dead, can he? I mean, it's just an odd thing, isn't it, that somebody would speak to someone who's dead. Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Now, yeah, you might not know that um, 500 years earlier, uh, Elijah um, raised the son of the widow of Zarephath who was also, uh, she was a widow, and also this was her only son. And Elijah used that same, the same words are in the scripture, and he gave the boy um, to his mother. And you might uh, know or not know that Elisha raised a um, a son of a a widow three miles from this very spot um, in the Old Testament account as well, hundreds of years earlier. So you can see the response of the people. When Jesus did it, um, the people, it says, fear seized them all. And they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. God has visited his people. There had been a prophetic silence from God for how many years? When's the last time a prophet had come from God to the people of Israel? A good 400 years of silence. Can you imagine that? 400 years of separation from God. And the people declare, God has visited his people. And this report about Jesus spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inspired word. It's given to us by a God who loves us. It's given us to teach us his love. Amen. You may be seated. So we need teachers, right? We need a teacher. Some things are just hard to learn. You gotta have somebody who teaches you. You're just not gonna get there on your own. You're not gonna pick it up on your own. So take golf. I'd like to be a decent golfer. I don't need to be a great golfer. I don't need to win uh, uh, awards. I just don't wanna hit the houses that line um, 
the golf course. I don't want to see the hole in the screen and my ball in the pool uh, in people's backyard. I don't want to um, hit out of a sand trap and watch my ball go over the green and into the lake on the other side. Um, I don't want to have to write nines and tens on my scorecard. That's all I ask. I need a teacher. Some things are hard to do your taxes. It's tax season, right? The tax code is not easy. To venture in and figure out um, capital gains and all sorts of other um, things on taxes, you need some instruction. You need a teacher, right? How about parenting? Parenting may be the, one of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life, and yet you've never done it before, right? Um, and so here you are, parenting. You need people who have been there who can tell you, who can teach you. Go take, take the Bible, right? Why do many people come here week in and week out? Because to read the Bible, you may not have known anything about Elijah and Elisha. I just read that passage, right? You would have known that Jesus' miracle was exactly like the miracle of these great prophets of the Old Testament. And that was powerful in the lives of the people there present. There's all sorts of things about the Bible. You can study it your whole life and you need a what? You need a teacher. How shall they understand without a preacher, right? The New Testament um, says, well, nothing requires a teacher more than this thing called learning to love because nothing is harder uh, to learn than to learn how to love. I mean, think, how do you learn, how do you love a spouse? A spouse is of the opposite gender. You know, women are from Mars, men are from Venus or whatever that was. You know, spouses are aliens. And, uh, and how do you love one? Um, and how do you love one for a long time? Um, how do you love a uh, spouse? How do you love children? They're all different. They're all annoying. How do you, you know, how do you love um, grandchildren? How do you love your parents? How do you um, love your in-laws? How do you love step uh, parents? Um, how do you love neighbor, your neighbor? How do you love uh, people of different political persuasions? How do you love people who are annoying? How do you love people who are narcissistic? How do you love people who talk incessantly about themselves? How do you love people who won't talk at all? How do you um, love um, people who you just don't like, not even one bit? How do you love people who drain you? How do you love people who suck the life out of um, you? These are all um, the challenge of love. Love is the greatest virtue, right? But it's the hardest um, to attain. Just think of the challenge of this um, last year when we faced this mask or no mask. We faced this, uh, do I, um, am I guided by my sense of uh, I have rights and my personal freedom or am I guided uh, more by love and caution uh, for my neighbor? And think about how much our culture uh, struggled to choose love of neighbor over rights of personal freedom. Love does not come easily to anybody. Um, it's a, it's a great, so, so who's going to teach us? Who's going to be our teacher? What does it say in first Corinthians 13? It says you could have prophetic powers. You could understand all mysteries and knowledge. You could have such faith that believing you could move a mountain, but if you don't love, then who cares? It's nothing, right? So who's going to teach us how to love? We know that 2000 years ago, love walked, Right? Love walked among us, love walked on the earth. And we saw um, that love manifested, right, when a woman in adultery was being shamed and thrown uh, on the ground. 
We saw that love uh, manifested when people were hungry, thousands of them, and they didn't have um, food to eat. We saw that love manifested when fishermen fished all night, rough and tumble fishermen um, couldn't catch anything, right? We saw that love manifested at a wedding when there's huge embarrassment, right? Because they ran out of wine at the, um, uh, at the wedding. We saw love manifested in the everyday uh, matters of life. There's where we'll find um, the teacher. Um, so our aim in this series is to discover how Jesus loved, right? Study the one who can teach us how to love, um, to, to um, understand how Jesus loved, and then to experience his love. Because if you understand it intellectually, but you don't experience it personally, then you won't love. And then it's actually to, um, to be conformed to his image so that we begin to love more like he loves. So I want to invite you, will you pray that way right now? Will you pray, Jesus, would you teach me how to love? I want to learn how to love better. I don't think loving people is my strong suit. I don't think people would list it high on my gift list. On the fruits of the Spirit, uh, I think it would be on the bottom of uh, the list with me. I would like my children someday to be able to say, you know what? My dad loved more and more as life went on. He loved us better at the end than before. I'd like to improve at this. I'd like to to love well. I'd like to love better. I'd like Jesus to teach me. I'd like to leave a legacy for my children and grandchildren of love. I would like to create a family culture that sustains of love. How about you? Are you soft enough to be taught? How about bowing your head right now? Just say, Jesus, will you teach me? Help me not to be defensive. Help me not to assume I'm pretty good at this. Help me to be wide open. We pray, amen. So here we go. Ready to go? Got a sermon outline. What's the teacher going to teach us first? The way you love is you have to see people. You have to see um, people. Jesus sees people. So we read this story. Jesus is traveling from Capernaum. He's traveling near Nazareth into a city called Nain. Jesus actually is a large crowd traveling with him. There's a thousand people traveling with Jesus, his students, the disciples are traveling with him. And they're coming into a city. This is a city, a small city, very pleasant uh, area, Um, only... um, um, only a small distance from the Sea of Galilee and um, uh, probably 400 people in this town. And uh, the, the, the entourage with Jesus collides with a funeral procession that's coming out of the gates of the city. And um, um, this funeral procession in, in, the, in, in the ancient world it would have been about 6 p.m. because uh, the people would have worked all day and then, however, before sundown, they would want to get um, the person buried. They're coming out of the city because the graveyards were outside. You didn't bury in the city. You buried um, outside. And they're carrying, the pallbearers are carrying um, probably a plank of wood. And on that plank of wood was the deceased. His mother would have um, 
uh, washed his body and she would have anointed it and uh, with friends uh, would have wrapped it in uh, cloth. His face would probably still be visible. His arms uh, would be folded. Pallbearers would be taking their turns. Um, The entire city would have uh, come out because this was a particularly tragic and painful um, death for this community. And and this uh, procession coming out of Nain would not have been somber, somber. They would not have been trudging along in, uh, in, the, in the pain of their loss. No, it would have been very loud. Their grief would have been um, loudly expressed. Um, there would have been tearing of clothes. There would have been wailing. There would have been professional mourners. Did you know they had such a thing? Uh, people who were really good at mourning. And um, they got paid money and hired um, to come along. There would have been uh, flute players uh, playing. It would have been a very noisy uh, and uh, people uh, expressing their, their sorrow uh, and their grief. Um, and, and who is the deceased in this procession? Is the only son of, uh, of his mother. It's a child. It's a mother's son. Her only child. Some of you have been there. There's no question that uh, in my calling I've had to stand and do some funerals that were hard, but none of them have even come close to the challenge of standing at my brother's casket in a cemetery in Tallahassee and looking over his casket to my mother on the opposite side Um, and to see the grief etched in my mother's face and to try to say words and, and not, not crumble emotionally. In fact, 20 years later, knowing my parents were going to leave Florida soon and perhaps their, their last visit to his grave, I took my parents. I drove down and got them and I took them to Tallahassee to my brother's grave. My mother is, is reserved. That is an understatement. She's very reserved. And uh, I don't think I'd ever seen my mother cry before. But when I brought her to her son's grave, she wailed. She sobbed. I saw emotion, anguish, and grief come out of my mother like the dam had burst. So here we have it in the Bible, right? A a woman who has lost her son. It's his funeral, right? Who is this woman? She's a widow. That means she's not only lost her son, she's lost everything, right? She lost her husband. She lost her son. She has no children. There is no Social Security, right? She's lost her Social Security, her retirement, her pension, her annuity, her uh, Medicare, or everything. There is no support. She is essentially dead now. She has no future. She has no life. Think of the New Testament. What's the first thing the New Testament church sets out to do? We got to take care of who? The widows. Because there is no Social Security system um, uh, to, to care for the widows. This woman, for a Jewish woman, the highest moment of a life um, was to bear a son and to lose a son, the greatest sorrow. And now she is alone. And here's our lesson from the master. The Bible says that Jesus saw her. We might overlook that, but it's amazing how often in the Bible we are told that Jesus saw people. 
He saw people. You see the scriptures on the screen when it says that Jesus in Matthew saw the crowds and had compassion because they were harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd. Think of uh, when Jesus sees um, what we call the rich young ruler. It says Jesus saw him and looking at him, he loved him. This young man who would spurn um, Jesus. Think of Jesus even on the cross, right? Jesus saw his mother and he saw John, right? And he speaks to John on behalf of the care of his mother. Jesus saw people. Think of the picture of God. All right, so we're talking about this, and we'll see how far we can go. And, and again, uh, it could easily be the lights. It could easily be well, lightning uh, hits or hits close. Uh, the system protects itself and, and basically shuts down. So we'll, uh, we'll see if we can make headway here. We're, learning, we're asking Jesus to teach us how to love, and what we're noting is the way that Jesus sees people, right? I was telling you, the father of the prodigal son, um, that, uh, that scripture, if we can uh, get it up, what does it say? He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, what does it say? His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Hagar in the Old Testament, uh, Sarah, Abraham uh, can't have children with Sarah, and so Sarah gives to Abraham her servant, right? And she has a child, and Sarah decides she doesn't actually like that arrangement. And uh, she chases Hagar away, and her uh, situation is destitute. So Hagar calls God, right? She says, you are the God who sees. I have, not, I have now seen the one who sees me. It's a God who sees us. Loving people see other um, people. We have a deep longing to be seen. We never stop wanting to be seen. James K.A. Smith writes, Every child looking for an absent, distant father is on the road to cover up a deeper desire that such a father would come looking for them, that the arrow of hunger would be reversed and the father would return, because then we would know he was thinking about us, looking for us, loving us. What to make of this father hunger other than a deep longing to be seen and known by the one who made us? This, of course, is exactly the dream come true at the climax of the parable of the prodigal son. The son looking for home realizes his father's looking for him, right? Um, We have it in us. We want to be seen, right? We want to be seen by our father. We want to be seen by our maker. So what is our calling? It's to see people. But what prevents it? What prevents it? Why don't we see people? Because we're self-obsessed, one. We're into our story and into our life and into what we're doing. We're too task-oriented. But if I want to say one thing that has a practical application, and I might even say an easy application, the biggest thing that prevents us from seeing people in our culture is our addiction to screens. It used to be television, right? A family could sit there and be transfixed by a screen so that no matter what anybody in that room was going through, they didn't talk about it, they didn't notice, they didn't talk to each other, they lost themselves 
in the, in the story on the TV. But now that TV goes with us wherever we go. Those screens go with us into the bed. They go with us uh, into our recreational life. It doesn't matter if we're out on the water fishing. It doesn't matter if we're in the car. Uh, they're with us everywhere. Um, Paul Miller says, last summer I was at my daughter's lacrosse practice. Standing next to me was a father more intent on the cell phone conversation he was having, which didn't sound terribly pressing, than on watching his daughter play. Time and again she would look toward him, craving his attention, but he never saw her. Nor for that matter did another girl's mother see her child, focused as she was on her laptop, merrily tapping away. Do you know how many children are unseen? because their parents are obsessed with their phones? How many couples feel unseen by their um, partner because the other um, is embedded in their phone? If I could say one practical thing, if you wanna see people, then put your phone away. One hour a night when your family's gathered. Limit yourself to that, no more than that. You don't need it more than that. Any more than that is destructive to your soul and to the people around you. Is this pseudo friendship that you have with people online, more important than the people in your house and in that room with you. Put your phones down, put your phones away, see people. Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us in this. So Jessica Figger told our staff that she went home uh, after Easter service and she saw a man. She's seen him before, but she saw him maybe with new eyes. It's a man who sits uh, outside a house next to her. He's there every day. He just sits there in a chair outside and he smokes. He's an elderly man. He's in his 80s. And so Jessica encountered him and she said, uh, you know, how are you? He said, well, not so, you know, um, good. And she said, well, how was your Easter? And he said, no, you know, I got some problem with my head. And she said, "Um, was there anything I could do to help with that? He said, Well, if you have a gun, you know, you don't know, right? Till you enter people's story. This man she discovered was from New York. He was a window washer there. And the biggest pain in his life in his 80s is that 63 years ago, he had a daughter. He divorced the daughter's mother in the first year and decided that the the girl would be better off um, attaching to um, her new husband uh, instead of a distant father. So he's never um, seen his daughter in 63 years. Doesn't know that she knows that he uh, exists. Doesn't know where she is or the first thing uh, about her. Uh, This deep pain in his life. And then this interesting uh, thing he said to um, Jessica, I've never been to church and I'm starting to wonder if I need to find God at this point in my life. He's in his 80s, never been to church. I'm wondering if I need to find God. Do you guys see the irony in what he said? Jessica Fickert moved in next to him, saw him, went and talked to him. It's not him finding God, it's what? It's God finding him. God sees him. He sent Jessica to live there. He sent Jessica to walk over on Easter. It's the God who sees And he tells us to see. So make it your prayer, will you? Teacher, help us to see people like you do. And teacher, I can't believe that you see me. So second then, if we're gonna love like Jesus, we see people. And secondly, we feel. We feel compassion for them. 
Jesus sees this widow and he has compassion, right? Compassion on her. His heart breaks for her. That's what compassion is. It's to suffer with. Jesus' reaction is noticeable. There's quite a commotion in this funeral procession. And yet Jesus becomes soft and attentive and concerned. Maybe his eyes moisten. People know it who write about it. They say Jesus is filled with compassion towards this woman. Do you know what's interesting? He raised somebody from the dead. Believe it or not, he didn't do this very many times in his ministry. And yet this miracle is not known for his raising someone from the dead. It's known for his what? His compassion. That's what jumps off the page in this. I mean, how do you eclipse raising someone from the dead, right? His compassion does. This woman's half dead. She's cut off from any hope. And yet Jesus feels her pain. He enters her world. He feels what it's like to be in her place. Compassion is the emotion most frequently attributed um, to Jesus. Think of Mark chapter 1. Jesus encounters a leper. And it's a beautiful scene because the leper kneels imploring him. If you are willing, the leper says, you can make me clean. And move with compassion. Jesus touches the leper. You don't touch a leper. Jesus touches the leper and says, I am willing. I am willing. His heart breaks with compassion. Jesus sees us and he feels what we feel. He feels what you feel. He knows what you feel. It matters to him what you feel. Your despair, your distress, your shame, your loneliness, he knows what it is. He sees it. But he doesn't just see it. He feels it. You know, we're dealing with racism in our country, and that's a good um, thing. Uh, and we're not going to ever be not dealing with racism. We're, it's in the Bible. It's a part of the human condition. And we struggle to like people who aren't like us. Um, we'll always be dealing with it. Can I, can I guess give a word of advice, though? Because when a racially polarized event happens, it seems that too many white people begin to just ask questions like, oh, great, everything's racism. Oh, great, um, here we go again. How about the facts of the situation? I'm not sure the police ever even did anything wrong. And that's, you know. Can I just tell you that one word of advice might be to stop and feel. Feel what a historically oppressed minority feel. Stop and feel. Um, you know, it's amazing what happened to black folks in our country with no sympathy from white folks in our country for decade after decade after decade after decade. Maybe part of redemptive behavior would be to feel, to feel the pain of that. Um, not get so lost in, in the individual facts of every situation. I think of something that turned the tide in the civil rights movement is when five little girls were blown up in a, going to Sunday school in a church in Birmingham, right? Because then I think every parent in America could say, every white parent in America could say, our little girls go to Sunday school and we never thought once about them getting blown up in the stairwell of the church on their way to Sunday school class. And if you have trouble feeling these things, then go to 
the Baptist church in Birmingham. I think it's Fifth Street Baptist Church. You can see the little shoes of the girls that they were blown right off their feet. You can go into the Civil Rights Museum right across the street. You can go to the African American Museum in Washington, D.C. and ask God to open your heart to feel, to enter the pain, to enter the suffering, to care. God will teach you. Unfortunately, I know that. So this week I talked on the phone with dear friends who adopted a daughter. They adopted a daughter when she was born in prison. Her mother was imprisoned. She's 22 years old. She overdosed and died. Drug overdose. Their 22-year-old daughter. They poured their life into her. They loved her with all their heart. She died, fentanyl overdose. And I found myself weeping on the phone with them as we talked. Because some of you know this summer, my daughter faced the prospect of death at an early age. And just the prospect of her death caused me to weep like I have never in my whole life. I didn't know you could cry so hard. I didn't know your body could shudder like that. I didn't know that you, would have, you could have absolutely no control. And that response came from me at just the fear of losing my daughter. And I'm talking to my friends, and for them it's not fear, it's reality. You know what I'm saying? God is teaching me how to feel. I came from a family where we pretty much jumped from the problem to the solution. You fix things. You don't waste time feeling about it. Jesus feels. Jesus has compassion. God is committed to teach us. God is teaching me how to love. He taught me something this summer about how to love. I don't want that lesson through the suffering of my own child. I don't want that lesson. God doesn't care. He doesn't ask. He teaches. God, make us more compassionate. Teachers soften our hearts to see other people's shame and suffering and feel it. So Brandon gave me a book to read about a a pastor. It's his memoir. And he tells this pastor now who's loved the church his whole life how it really started for him. He said when he was 10 years old, he didn't have a dad, grew up with the shame in Greenville, uh, South Carolina, of no father, just he and his mom, very poor. But his mom dropped him off on Thursday afternoon for the, for the class to join the Methodist church. And uh, when they finished the class, it was time to take a picture. They were all gonna join the church on Palm Sunday. That's the way that church did it. And they put their picture of all the, the new young kids joining the church was on the cover of the bulletin on Palm Sunday. And this, um, this young man said that, um, this man said uh, that when he showed up that day for the picture, um, the, the woman in charge of getting this all done said, you don't have a tie on. You're supposed to wear a tie. All the other boys are wearing a tie. Even Jimmy Jones is wearing a tie. Jimmy Jones never does anything anybody tells him to do, but even Jimmy Jones is here with a tie. Do you know we hired a professional photographer to take this picture? The pastor himself is going to be here. The pastor himself is going to have a tie on. 
Can't you get anything right? I told you over and over, it's obvious. Why don't you have a tie? Scolding is just so lovely, isn't it? He said he ran out of the room in shame. You know, it's hard to tell somebody that you don't have a dad. You don't have a tie. You wouldn't know how to tie a tie if you had a tie. You never saw a man tie a tie um, before. He ran out and, and he stood in the pastor's parking spot until the pastor pulled in and he started to cry and blubber about uh, not bringing a tie and he didn't have a tie. And, and the pastor looked at him and said, you know, I've read the Bible a lot and I don't think Jesus ever wore a tie. And he said, you know what, I, I'm, I know Methodism upside down and you know what, I've never seen it in the Methodist manual that you have to wear a tie to join the Methodist church. So he grabbed that boy and he marched to to the group where the picture was being taken and he walked in and said, love you kids, this is so exciting, it's a big day, excited, your picture's gonna be on the front of the bulletin, we're gonna join the church Palm Sunday. He said, now I just got one request, boys, take those ties off. Every one of the boys in this room, get your tie off because it's not a part of it. You don't wear ties on Thursday, you wear ties on Sunday. Thursday, no ties on Thursday. And that man said, that's the day I fell in love with the church. And he said, to me, that pastor was Jesus. Jesus saw that little boy, that fatherless boy, that humiliated boy, right? And he felt what he felt. May God make us like that, more like that. And last of all then, see people, feel with people, and then act. Jesus sees the woman. Jesus feels her plight, her sorrow. He has compassion. And then Jesus springs into action. You know what Jesus does? He touches the dead body. A priest is not even allowed to be in the presence of the dead, let alone to touch the dead. This is an automatic two-week quarantine. Jesus defiles himself. He enters right into the mess. He touches the body. He addresses the corpse. Young man, I say to you, arise. And he gives this resurrected child back to his mother. You know what makes it so hard to love people? The cost you have to bear to love people. I've seen people in this church move to become foster parents. And they take people into their kids. Kids don't even have a family. They don't have a home. They're little. They're, they need protection. They need love. They need guidance. They take them in. And then they fall in love with them. Sometimes they get babies, newborn babies, and they have them for the first year, the first two, the first three of their life and the Parental rights are removed. They enter the adoption process. And at the 11th and a half hour, in comes a relative from somewhere in the hills of Arkansas that's never been identified. And the court gives those children away or gives that baby away. And people are slayed. We can talk about, oh, it's so great to adopt. Oh, it's so great to. The family I wept with this week. This was an adopted daughter. Her mother was a drug addict. Her mother was... um, mentally ill. All these things came to bear in this young girl's life. The price that is paid to help hurting people. That's why we, that's why we don't get involved. It's messy, right? Brandon encouraged the watching of a movie called The Overnighters about a Lutheran pastor in North Dakota 
the oil boom there and fracking and men all over America go there like it's the gold rush. They jump in their car, they don't have any money, they don't have any plans, there's no lodging for them, there's nothing. They go there, they're in the most desperate plight up there. So this pastor opens his church and lets men sleep all over the floor. And he opens his parking lot when he can't fit the people in the church and they sleep in their cars in the parking lot. And guess who doesn't like this one bit? The church doesn't like it, right? That's our church. That's our building. We've got smelly men all over the place. Not only that, he required them to come to church on Sundays. They didn't like that either. There's all these men in the pews. And, um, and, and in the parking lot, guess who else didn't like it? The neighbors didn't like it. And guess who else didn't like it? The town didn't like it. Trying to be faithful. Trying to see the plight of people and enter in. And it cost him. It cost him tremendously. Think of the cost to the prodigal, uh, the father of the prodigal son. What did it cost him to run out and welcome his son home? What did it cost him? His older son. That's what it cost him. There's a cost to it, right? There's a cost to Jesus when he enters in. What's the ultimate cost to Jesus? It's called crucifixion. It costs. That's why we don't love. Costs. But that's what makes it so powerful. Tim Keller very interestingly wrote, he said, you know, when the world sees the church doing evangelism and making converts, it sees us increasing our tribe and adding to our numbers and increasing our power. Just like a political party trying to get more people to vote on their side. That's what the world sees when it sees us doing evangelism. But when it sees us sacrificially serving the needs of our neighbors, whether they believe as we do or not, then it may begin to see that believers are motivated more by love than the desire to accrue power. When the DR team goes out and helps the homeless in Citrus County have a place to lay their head at night, that is a powerful apologetic for the truth of the gospel. That's taking seeing, feeling, and moving into action in the most beautiful ways. So a business owner in our church last week, you know what he did? He's got employees. He's invited them to church. Every now and then one of them would come. But last week he wanted them to come for for Easter. So you know what he did? He paid them to come. You could say, that's terrible. That confuses all sorts of things. I don't know. It was the best he could come up with. He paid them uh, to come. He paid them a good little amount to come to church. And uh, some of them took the money and, and got haircuts and, and they actually bought like a Easter shirt, you know, to come. And they all did it together. A whole pew last week was filled with employees from one of our local businesses. A lot of them got Bibles after church. They hung out after church and got pictures out by the fountain. He saw his employees. He knows what it's like to be sheep without a shepherd. He knows what it's like to be uh, uh, in their lives to not have a relationship with God. So he did something, right? He moved into the mess. It literally cost him something. God, make us more like that. Her name was Sarah Pascucci. She got the nastiest letter in February. But she still had her Christmas lights up, so one of her neighbors sent her this nasty letter that said, take your Christmas lights down, it's Valentine's Day. 
She posted it on Facebook to some of uh, people in a friend group of hers, how nasty this letter was. And word got out. And, and you see, they, she told her story too. She said that her dad, every year, would come to our house and help her put up the Christmas lights. Um, she couldn't do it by herself. Her dad always came and it was something they did together. It was a ritual. It was a Christmas ritual. And so he'd done that in late November, but he got COVID in late December and in early January he died. And she can't bear to take down the lights because her dad will never be there to put the lights up at her house again. She's not sure she wants to ever take those lights down because those lights are just a reminder of her dad, you know? And so, you know what the the neighbors did? They sent cards. They started to GoFundMe for the funeral expenses she had borne. You know, they sent meals. But you know what was really beautiful? They all put their Christmas lights back up. The whole neighborhood saying, we stand. We stand with our friend. So, Jesus, we want to be lovers of people. We want to be like you. The only way... To make progress in love is to experience the love of Jesus, right? To experience Jesus seeing you, knowing what you feel, and taking action. Isn't that the story of the Bible? God who made creation sees the brokenness of what he's made. God feels it. It will not stand. He enters into the mess. And then one day in our lives, you know what? Jesus crosses our path, and you know what he says to us? He touches us, and we are dead. And he says, little child, woman, son, get up. And he makes us alive. Have you experienced that? That's the kind of God he is. When we were, um, when I was little, many of you have been in church for a long, long time. Remember, we used to sing this song. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.